Hello, and welcome back to the Fire and Fragrance podcast. This week, we have Upper Room's Peter Lewis sharing on the Holy Spirit. Today, Peter teaches us how we think determines how we live, and he breaks down how we must put our minds on the things of Christ and not on our flesh. Let's jump right in. He's just amazing. He's better than we think. Amen? Can we all agree upon that? He's just better. He's more loving. He's more kind. He's more generous uh, than we think. So... Um, thank you guys for your love. Thank you for your hunger. Thank you for your love for Jesus. Um, it refreshes my bride and I. We, we've been so uh, just humbled and amazed um, at this place. Um, and so I just want to honor you. I want to honor your yes, honor your, um, yeah, just your desire to seek him with everything. Like there's a lot of people in the church discouraged did you know that? Because they think the church is doing this, but we come here and we see that the church is doing this, you know, and, and you are that church. And so those of you who shared your testimonies, um, God bless you. Um, don't stop sharing what God's doing in your life. Amen. Tell your mom, tell your dad, tell whoever will listen to you just what God's doing in your heart. It's that simple. So, um, well, are we ready? One more day together. Hey, guys. <laughs> Let's pray, can we? <clears throat> Lord, we, um, we just come into your presence right now. We thank you that we've gathered in your name um, and that you're here with us in our midst. You tell us that anyone that comes to you must believe that you exist and that you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek you. And Lord, I don't don't know of any place that's more diligently seeking you than this company in this room right now, Lord, that they have set time and treasure and their lives aside on an island to behold you, to be equipped in your ways, to make you known in the nations. And so, Lord, we we believe you're real. We come to you this morning today, we believe that you exist, we believe that there is a God in heaven, Jesus, that you are the son of God, that you love us, you died for us, and that your eyes are upon us this morning, you, you see each and every one of us where we're at, in our, in our victories, in our process, in our grief, in our frustrations, in our whatever we're feeling, Lord, you see all of us. Holy Spirit, we, we thank you for your work among us. We thank you for your activity among us this week. We recognize you've been just moving upon hearts and minds and even bodies, Lord. And we thank you, Holy Spirit. We honor you, Holy Spirit. We honor you. What a privilege to know you. What a privilege that we could become your temples We present our bodies to you today as living sacrifices. We ask that you would come and have your way with us, God. That you'd reprogram, you'd rewire, you'd renew our minds. We thank you, Lord, that that we are transformed, literally metamorphosis from caterpillar to butterfly, from sinner to saint, from orphan to belonging, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that by the transformed mind, by you, Holy Spirit, we experience that transformation. And I pray for more of it today, God. And so, Lord, we come 
to your word that is alive. We humble ourselves before it, that which we've read, chapters which we've read, truths which we've known. We pray that you would breathe upon it, Holy Spirit. Like you've been doing these last three days, that you would take the word of God and you would apply it to our hearts. You would apply it, God, not just to our minds, but to our hearts. That we would experience your truth today. And that you would set us free in greater measure, Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Go to Romans chapter 6, please. <clears throat> you know, there's so many testimonies about um, you guys experiencing the love of God. Um, and Romans 5 talks about how God pours his love into our hearts, um, not any old way. He doesn't just zap. He pours his love, his love, the Father's love comes into our hearts, meaning we experience it through the person of Holy Spirit. And if day one was the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, day two was the baptism of the Holy Spirit, yesterday though we didn't like title it that way because I had to backdoor you guys because you guys were all locked up in the, <laughs> it was the application of salvation to your hearts by the Holy Spirit. You guys begin to experience the cross yesterday and the Holy Spirit applied, that was the work of the Spirit. Like what happened yesterday? The Holy Spirit, the person of Holy Spirit was applying truths that you knew intellectually to your heart. So we experienced him, amen? Now, the, the fellowship of the Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit, encounters with the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, to me, it's all unto walking in the Holy Spirit. Biblically, you and I have the privilege within the new covenant of walking in the Spirit. Now, how many of you know what's the opposite of walking in the Spirit? Walking in the flesh, okay? What is walking in the flesh? Okay, walking in sin, yes. <laughs> I, I'm having, what did you say back there? Living with the desires of your flesh, yep. What did you say back in the back? Walking apart from God, yep. Go ahead, Michael. Granting ourselves whatever we desire, yeah. What you think is better, I like that one. Lord of your own life, that's a good one. So, so biblically, there's this two ways we can walk. We can walk by the flesh or we can walk by the Spirit. Now, if you jump to Romans 8 real quick, I'm just going to show you this. Just one, one page over, maybe. I want to equip you to walk in the Spirit, okay? Look at this. 
Verse 5, Romans 8, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Okay, so there's a connection biblically to the way you live. Hear me. The way you live, the way you walk, the way you relate to people, the way you interact with life is directly correlated to where you set your mind. So what you choose to think about will determine how you live. Did you know this? Your mind, what you think, determines how you live. It's not the other way around. How you live doesn't determine how you think. How you think determines how you live. Look at what he says. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. The phrase things of the Spirit should provoke you. What things? (laughs) Holy Spirit, what things? (laughs) I want to live by the Spirit. So what things do I need to be setting my mind upon? I told you guys I'm really simple. For, for most Christians, this verse is sort of just, it's foggy. We're like, okay, there's a general understanding of I need to be thinking about the Spirit. I need to be setting my mind on the Spirit. But if I were to pull this group and go, what, is it, what things of the Spirit should we set our minds upon? I may get 200 different answers. No wonder we're, we're, we're riding the roller coaster of today I'm walking in my flesh or I'm walking in my flesh, and no, I'm walking in my spirit because Monday night was awesome and, and my mind was on the things of the spirit. And then, and then I left and I started thinking about myself again. And many of us, our life is marked by this roller coaster of going from the flesh to the spirit. Anyone? Riding the roller coaster is not your inheritance. That's not normal Christianity. That is, like, that is like at the beginning of your Christian faith, you may ride that roller coaster as you're learning how to walk in the Spirit. Now watch. Verse 6, For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So some of you are like, how come I don't feel life and peace? It's where you're setting your mind. Now listen to me. If you were not born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and have God living inside of you, you would not have power to set your mind on what you would choose. You would be a victim of your circumstances. Now, many Christians still live as though they're victims of their thoughts. Well, I'm just, you know, I've just been, I've just been feeling this kind of way. I just, you know, I just, ah, I just feel like, and, and we become victims of how we feel, intrusive thoughts, feelings. Well, it's just, you know, and, and so we feel these things, we think these things, But the revelation of the new covenant of being a born again, remember yesterday we got happy about being born of God? Y'all remember that? That wasn't just to make you happy clappy. 
It was to remind you that in the moment you feel the weight of your flesh, you're like, man, I really screwed it up. Man, I act like such a jerk. Man, they act like such a jerk to me. The power of the Holy Spirit living in you is to give you the power to set your mind on something other than earth realm, flesh realm. So now you have power to set your mind on things of the Spirit. And you may be saying, Peter, what's that going to do? How is that going to help me with what I'm going through? Well, first of all, it says when you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, you're going to experience life and peace. So for one, this is a way to test your heart. If you're feeling anything but life and peace, it's to help you. It's okay. They'll figure it out. Listen, hear me. This is important. If you're not feeling life and peace, life and peace is like the... It's like the standard operating system for the new covenant. When Paul was in jail, circumstantially, he was in a bad situation. He had been beaten. He was in jail. People were preaching the gospel out of selfish motives. And yet, he still had life and peace. We know this. Why? Because he's worshiping. So life and peace isn't circumstantial. It's the, it's the atmosphere of heaven. Heaven is a place of life and peace, which means one of the most radical benefits of being a Christian is that you and I have access to life and peace no matter what's happening around us. Well, how do I access that? You set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Now, the devil works through you and I setting our minds on the things of the flesh. That's where the enemy comes and begins to accuse, begins to lie to you, begins to, to produce guilt, shame, condemnation, begins to produce division amongst one another. Someone walks past you on their way to get their banana and Nutella, and they don't say hi to you. And you think to yourself, I knew they didn't like me. You know, they just didn't, they didn't even acknowledge, you wave, you did the wave, you know, remember the wave, and then they didn't, they just walked by you there in their own world. And then a little thing like that, you start to think, this little, this little flesh interaction between person to person, all of a sudden, produces a thought, they don't even, they don't even like me. And now all of a sudden, then something in class happens, and I start preaching and teaching, and then I say something that you don't fully agree with, and you feel like, man, I don't know if I agree with that guy, and, and all of a sudden, you don't agree with me, and then the thought comes, yeah, you don't belong here. So now someone didn't say hi to you in line. Someone's preaching you don't fully agree with. And now your, your, your mind is set on the flesh and you're creating narratives that produce all of this tension in your heart. That's the mind set on the flesh is death. You begin to feast on death. You begin to feast on things that are not true. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. So not only is it death, it's actually hostile to, towards God. When your mind is set on the flesh, let me explain this to you. When your mind is set on the flesh and you hear the truth of the gospel, you, you get angry and you resist it. When your mind is on the flesh, when you're thinking flesh, 
and you hear truth, you hear gospel, you hear Holy Spirit, there's a hostility that arises. This happens a lot when we make idols. Many Christians make idols of their pain. It's very easy in a Christian context where there's a lot of ministry happening happening to us because of pain to make an idol of our pain. Which means, what is an idol? Like, because we don't have little idols anymore. Y'all know that? Like, well, some people do. I know some people still do. But for the most part in the church, we don't have idol worship in terms of little statues. But, but we still make idols of things. And, and I've always, like, I would wrestle with God. I'm like, God, why? What's happening here? Because I've been in ministry a while now. And I, I'm like, what's going on? He goes, there's an idol of pain. But, but, but why? The idol of pain, see, idol worship comes because you get something from the idol. They would worship idols because they would get something from the idol. Yes? So when you make an idol of your pain, what are you getting? You're getting compassion. You're finding connection. You're finding love through your pain. And many people are not comfortable letting go of their pain, letting go of their brokenness, letting go of their of their mess. Why? Because they're afraid if they let go of their pain, they're going to stop getting love. You're like, why are you telling me to let go of my pain? That's the exchange of the gospel. The injustices that have caused you the most pain. There is abuse that has happened in this room. Garrett so fearlessly proclaimed it. Where did he go? He's right there. He's like, man, yeah, I was abused. It's many of you were. You've experienced that. There's tremendous, like what Garrett, that, that, and you just said it publicly, that is an injustice for a boy to experience that from his mother. That's injustice. That, there, that, is, that is one of like, that's injustice. That's not fair. That's not right. He didn't do anything wrong. That's just wrong. There was brokenness in his mom that manifested in this behavior that now created pain, that Jesus met him in his pain, delivered him from his pain. There was an exchange of pain, and you saw a man standing up here in freedom, texting his mom and dad going, I'm free. There was an exchange. And he, he will not forever be known as a kid abused. He will be known as a son of the Most High God, a prophet to his generation, a preacher to his generation. Why? Because he didn't make an idol of his pain. He allowed, he allowed the injustice of the cross. Listen, as, as, as big and as real and as Jesus, listen to me, Jesus will never diminish your pain. He'll never go, oh, it's not, that's not a big deal. He never does that. My Jesus never does that. Jesus, he, he meets you in your pain and he says, I get it. He says, I understand. I understand exactly how you feel. But he will never leave you in it. He will never leave you in your trauma. He will never let you remain defined by your trauma. And so he takes you to the cross where the Lamb of God, the innocent Son of God, was crucified. 
at the, at the hands of sinful men. Now, this injustice consumes every injustice that has ever been committed and ever will be committed. The injustice of God dying on a cross, it transcends our pain. We can never exalt our pain, what we went through, above the cross. We would acknowledge that intellectually, but I believe the Holy Spirit's saying, will you actually exchange that in your heart? Will you humble yourself and realize, I'm not diminishing your pain, I'm just not going to allow your pain to exalt your pain so that you stay in it. Why am I talking about pain? Because pain is one of the primary reasons believers feel justified in keeping their minds set on the flesh. Well, but I'm in pain. Pain is real. But if you justify living according to the flesh because you're in pain, you're going to now live in death. So what does it mean to, to set your mind on the things of the Spirit? It means that there is a man, there is a truth, there is a gospel, there is a good news, there is a better word, there is a better way to process that pain. Handling, how many of you struggled with handling betrayal? Okay. Let me just, is this okay if I walk this out? I want to teach you how to walk in the spirit with things that matter to you. Raise your hand again, betrayal. Okay? Betrayal is painful. It's very easy with betrayal to go to a friend, to go to a leader, to go to someone and be like, you'll never believe what someone did to me. And you begin to process that pain, that betrayal with someone and you, you're trying to find a balm for your heart. A lot of times in betrayal, the first thought that we have is, it's probably my fault. I probably did something, whatever, right? Like, you, you want to be, you want to justify. You're like, am I, did I do it wrong? Was there a reason they left me? Was there a reason they betrayed me? Was there, did I do something? Anyone? Y'all talk to me. Okay, so once you get past that and you're like, wait a minute. I didn't do anything. They, they were 100% wrong, and I'm 100% right. Now what you do is you want to go try to create a, an agreement somewhere and go, let me tell you what happened. And they're like, someone goes, man, you're exactly right. What they did was so wrong. And now they've sided with you, and you've created this, like, this comfort in the betrayal. And you're like, okay, why are you going on this, Peter? Because if you don't know how to handle betrayal, these kind of things can derail you in your Christian walk. I've experienced betrayal. Christy and I, we've experienced betrayal. We've betrayed each other in a sense. Like, we, like the feelings of like just relational marriage. Like there's things that you do where you hurt one another and you're like, ah, oh, that hurts. I feel betrayed. And I remember one time I was, I was I, I, for, the, for the thousand times I, I did this wrong, there's been like a time I've done it right. And in this time I said, God, I said, I don't know what to do. What do I do? And he goes, I understand betrayal. He says, go read John 13. 
And I read John 13 and I saw Jesus approach Judas who would betray him. And I saw Jesus wash Judas' feet after Satan had entered into him. After Judas had already committed to do the thing that was going to send Jesus to the cross, I saw Jesus, the one that I, that I proclaimed to follow. Oh, I'm a follower of Christ. See, the stakes get a little bit higher when you start to talk about it that way. We're like, well, what do you mean follow? Like, I'm not, not follow like that. Not follow like I do everything I read about that he did. Actually, yes. When you said I'm going to follow Jesus, that's that's what we're doing. So Jesus gets down, the Son of God gets down on his knees and washes this guy's feet. How? How did he wash his feet? There's a secret in there in John 13. It says that Jesus knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. Betrayal does not affect your sonship to God. You need to know where you come from, which yesterday the Holy Spirit showed us that we come from his side. Did y'all catch that? Did y'all catch the strength and the weight of that truth? That's not some fancy revelation to amaze you. That is an anchor for your soul until Jesus comes back. Some of you, you don't, you don't, understand that now I would highly encourage you to like write that down and be like okay that guy said that was important I should probably sit here for a while until you know what happened where's my sister over here where did you go she was over there yesterday getting hit with the yeah remind me your name Lacey you see Lacey sitting there and she's like "Uh uh-huh and then she's "Uh and she goes oh like that you got to sit with some of these things until that happens because if you don't you just you go right past it. You with me? Are you guys okay? I'm teaching you how to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. So you have a choice. And it's really difficult when you're in pain to make that choice. But I want to show you what's at stake. Because if we do not learn how to walk in the Spirit, you're going to walk in the flesh. All right. My Bible turned to Acts 26. It's probably really good in there, but we're going to go back to Romans 6. You good? You guys okay? All right. Do we need a break? No? (laughs) Okay. Here we go. Romans 6. You there? I so badly want to do the end of five. Okay. Okay, 517. For, for if because of one man's trespass, that's Adam, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, say the abundance of grace, and the free gift of righteousness, say free gift of righteousness. Those people... It's only those people. They will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Everyone say reign. Reign. Reign is awesome. 
Reign in life isn't grumpy, victim, oh my gosh, I can't believe they did this. The world is so hard. What's the government doing? Reign in life is reign, is like, it's reign, it's dominion, it's strength, it's power, it's overcoming Reign. How do you reign? Oh, I want to reign. How many of you want to reign? Okay, I'm going to talk to all 44 of you. <laughs> ah. This is Christianity 101. We have too many Christians, especially, listen, if we're going to go into the nations and be ambassadors for King Jesus, you're not showing up to be like, well, I don't know. It's like you're coming representing the king. Not for your own gain, but for him. So he gives you power and authority to reign for him. Peter and John, crippled dude. They're reigning in life. They're, they're encountering crippled guys. And they're like, get up. Dead people, get up. Everyone, generosity flowing. Like this is revival. This is reigning in life. Well, how do we reign in life? You receive. Look. See, the kings of the earth reign, leaders reign, earthly leaders reign through their own strength, through their own gain, through taking, through manipulating, through control, but Christians reign through receiving. You receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. Those are going to reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Why? Because you're one with him. Because there's a closeness with him. Therefore, as one trespass, that's Adam, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Everyone say it. Come on. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made. See, most Christians think Adam's trespass had more power than Jesus' obedience. We put more faith in Adam screwing this thing up and making me a sinner than we do Jesus' obedience in making me righteous. We have such trouble believing that we could actually be righteous, which proves you have more faith in Adam than Christ. And we need to repent, friends. Adam is not bigger than Christ. What Adam did is not stronger than Christ. The one man's disobedience made many sinners. The one man's obedience made many righteous. It is so good. Now the law, watch this, came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Some of you are like, I don't know about this gospel. What do you do with sin? As sin increases, grace goes, I, I, no, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. Now watch. Some of you are getting nervous. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading 
to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, many Christians are afraid for grace to reign. Like, well, it can't just only be grace because that's going to lead to licentiousness. Come on. Oh, I'm sorry. Like, uh, uh, like just the thought that right now, like what if I were to tell you, you can go and do whatever sin you want and grace is going to cover you. No, no, that's what he's saying. He's saying you can go, if you go and sin and increase your sin, grace is going, for the believer, grace is going to come and to cover you. Now some people believe like, some people believe that if you preach the grace of God, it's going to produce this hunger in Christians to then want to just go do bad. But the Bible says when grace reigns in your life, meaning when grace is king, not the law, not a system of do's and don'ts. Hey, make sure you do this. Make sure you don't do that. That's not, we don't live that way anymore. No, do this. Do, don't do that. that. We don't live that way anymore. When grace reigns, it leads to eternal life. And I would say it leads to holiness. I'm going to show you that biblically right here. So how many of you, be honest, the thought of just grace being over your life makes you a little bit nervous? Come on. Yeah, thank you. You get 17 honest people. So Paul understands the trepidation of the hearers when they hear how abundant the grace of God is. Paul understands that. When you preach the gospel accurately, the question that would come to mind with an immature believer is, does that mean I can continue to sin? That's the question. So you're like, how do you know you're really preaching the gospel clear that someone would ask, does that mean I can keep sinning? I'm going to say it again because I don't know if you heard me. You know you're preaching the gospel clearly when when. When the first question, as you're preaching, someone goes, well, does that mean I can keep sinning? You're accurately preaching the grace of God when this question pops up. And then Paul answers the question. He goes, no, let me help you understand that. He goes, so what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That's the natural question when you preach the grace of God. The question pops up, so then I can keep sinning then, right? Now watch what he says. Verse 2, by no means. Now here, here, here's what we need to understand. How can we who died, past tense, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Now look at verse 3. You're going to see this a lot. Do you not know? Has your mind not been renewed? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Guys, don't you know that when you went into those waters of baptism, it was more than a public confession of your faith? Did you know that? Many people didn't know. When you went into the waters, you're identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's you being baptized into his death. Look at this, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. 
Why? Why were we baptized into his death? In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So for many of us, this cross was just Jesus' cross. But for the Christian who knows, that's our cross. See, most Christians think Jesus died for them, not as them. And the beauty and the power of the gospel is that we get to be unified in Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. We get to become one with him. Now, why is that important? Because the Christian faith teaches that the way The way we deal with sin, the fall of man, what we inherited through Adam, selfishness, the only way we're going to deal with it is if we believe that 2,000 years ago, you and I were crucified to that cross. Why? Why were you crucified? Why were you buried? So that you would be raised to newness of life. Watch. Verse 5. For if, everyone say if, if we have been united, say united, with him in a death like his. Do you see it? When Jesus died for you, he wanted to unite you by faith to his death. So some of you are like, how do I deal with this depression? How do I deal with this sin? You allow it to be crucified with Christ. You're like, that's easy. It wasn't easy for him. It's easy for you. All you have to do is believe, but it wasn't easy for him. He paid a high price to make the gospel easy for us. If we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Have y'all, when was the last time you imagined Jesus when he was three days in the grave, lifeless, covered in cloths? <laughs> this is just Christian faith 101. Our G, we believe, I'm going to tell you what we believe. We believe that Jesus laid in a tomb for three days, lifeless, dead man, after he had been tortured, brutally beaten, ripped apart. He's wrapped in cloth, and he's laying there dead in a dark, cold tomb lifeless. And the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, this person that we've been talking about, comes into that tomb on the third day, comes into the tomb and resurrects Jesus's dead body, like wakes him up. Now, I want you to just imagine for the sake, because yesterday we experienced the glory of the cross, we were there, but I want you to just picture like a real dead man just laying up here, wrapped in cloths in a dark tomb. I want you to just imagine, just use your imagination for a moment, and like we were just, imagine the last three days we've been talking, we've been around, and this dead guy has just been laying here. I want you to feel the weight of that death. I want you to see like, man, that guy is dead. We, we, he's dead. And in a moment, the spirit comes into the tomb, and there was a moment when he, 
he opens his eyes and he starts breathing again. Resurrected. And at this point, at this point, the Bible describes that he's the firstborn from the dead. So at this moment that he breathes again, he has been in Hades, he's been in the darkness, and he has defeated death, Hades, the grave, and he's taken the keys back that Adam and Eve gave up. So he is now waking up a victorious king. Now sin, death, disease no longer have dominion over mankind. He has won the victory. Now, that's awesome. Like, that is the triumph of the Christian faith. That is our victory. That's enough to give us hope when all feels lost. Like, we believe in a God who raises the dead. Now, that, that, that alone is nice, but the Bible teaches that that experience of Jesus waking up out of a grave was not just for him. God wants to unite your heart and my heart to the glory of that resurrection. He wants you to feel resurrected. He wants you to feel dead to sin and alive to God. He wants you to feel that. He wants you to experience that. He wants you to walk through life and to experience the strength of Jesus' resurrection. But for many of us, we've never been, been given permission to walk in that victory. Look. That was verse 5. Verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Guys, your old self is everything that you inherited through Adam that you don't like about yourself. It's every sinful thing. It's every broken thing. That's your old self. Let me ask you, how much of your sin, your brokenness, what you inherited from mom and dad or whatever, generational, anything, how much of your sin do you think you're able to sneak through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? That's a question. Like, how does it happen? If, if we're a Christian, how can, do, do you see the devastation and do you see the, the offense to the cross? Do you see the offense to the, to the work of Jesus to, as a born-again believer, to say, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, and I'm also a sinner? Do, don't you see the discrepancy? It's no longer like just trying to be like a cute, like not important topic. This is core to our faith. And my, my, my passion and my zeal is because this is the foundation for us living a clean, pure Christian life. But too many believers are on the fence. They think, oh, I stumbled, I walked in sin, therefore I must be a sinner. And yet, and yet what does that mean? It means that you are now living by what you do. You're living by the flesh, what happened in the flesh, instead of living by the Spirit, what happened in the Spirit. Does this make sense? This gospel that I'm preaching to you, it's a spirit narrative. It's the spirit truth. You, 
Your old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Can you begin to just imagine with me this morning what what it would look like to no longer be enslaved to sin? And I'm not just talking about the external sins. I'm talking about the, the, the dominating self-consciousness, worried about whatever. Like sin marks us in so many ways. Living for yourself at the core. Verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So watch. If you're still wrestling with your old man, you haven't died yet. If you're still wrestling, well, I'm just, I'm, you know, when you take ownership of your old man, well, I'm just still dealing with some stuff. Okay, deal with it, but deal with it according to the gospel of Jesus Christ and allow it to be crucified. I'm going to teach you how to do this in a minute. Look. For one who has died. What does that mean? How do you, what do you mean? How do I know that I've died? By faith, you've allowed his death to become your own. What do I do, Peter? Verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives... He lives to God. Here you go. I know you guys have been asking. So what do I do, Peter? Verse 11. You also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the two-step process of walking in the Spirit. This is the process. I'm going to give you two steps. Dead to sin. So walking in life requires two steps. I need a left foot and a right foot. That's how you walk. I'm, I told you I'm simple. So right now I'm walking. If I'm walking in the flesh, then, the, then it's, I'm going to walk this way. I'm alive to sin, dead to God. Alive to sin, dead to God. Alive to sin, dead to God. What does that actually think like? It means I, I got angry. Yep, I, I did the angry thing, and now God's mad at me. I did the pornography thing. God's frustrated with me. This is walking in the flesh. I did the thing, and I think a dead thought about God. I must be far from God now. I he says, you must consider, in light of this good news, in light of Jesus, in light of the gospel, you must begin to consider yourself dead to sin. What does that mean? It means that you no longer have permission to identify with sin in your life. I hear people all the time, they're like, well, it's just my depression. It's not yours. That's not yours. What do you mean your depression? What do you mean your anxiety? What do you mean your struggle? It's not yours. I'm not saying you're not experiencing it. I'm not, again, I'm not diminishing what you're feeling. I'm saying there's a biblical prescription to handle it. Jesus took depression upon himself. He took all the intrusive thoughts upon his mind. 
He took suicide. He took it all upon his mind. And so you honor God, again, with the worship movement happening that's so beautiful, make sure you don't mistake your worship only happening when there's a melody that moves your heart. I'm teaching you how to worship. See, I believe God gets, hears more worship when you begin to walk in the Spirit, consider yourself dead to sin, and you take little baby steps of faith and go, you know what, God, I'm actually going to believe that I'm dead to sin and alive to you. God hears that as worship. God hears that. He interprets that. There may be no melody, no pad, no drum playing, but he hears, he goes, look, she's worshiping me. She's honoring the sacrifice of my son. And what happens when you choose to walk that way? Holy Ghost comes and empowers your walk. The grace of God flows into your life. So, so practically, I want you guys to be real with me because now I want to, we're going to just, we're going to flow. What are some real struggles you're having, having that you need to like, okay, how do I take what I'm saying and apply it to what I'm going through? Hands raised, yes sir. Lack of identity, okay. Lack of identity comes from the belief, where's my Emma, where's Emma at? She heard from someone that she's not a good singer. So the lack of identity comes from believing the lie that God doesn't love us. It's unbelief in the truth that God wants us. So what do I do? At the root, if you're going, I don't feel like I belong. I don't feel like I'm really a son. I don't feel like God really wants me. Right? Is that fair? I don't feel wanted by God. Anyone relate to that? Okay. So what you do, the mindset, of, and, and the reason you may feel that way is because you have certain feelings, stuff happened in your life that, that's very, 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 very real and valid. Hear me? Again, I'm not diminishing that. But God said, I want you. I want you so bad, I'm going to take away every barrier between you and me and my father. I'm going to take it into myself, and I want you in my family. And I'm going to adopt you into my family. I don't just, I didn't just, God didn't just, for God so loved the world, he shouted from heaven, I love you. I remember one time I asked God, I said, God, I want to be a better, I want to win souls. I want to win people to Jesus. I said, how do I do it? He said, go read John 3.16. I said, I've read that. He says, go read it. I said, Lord, I've read it. It's written on my heart. I know it. You don't argue with God. Just do it. If he says, he goes, go read it. Opened it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And I read the verse. You know what he, you know what he said to me? <sighs> Blew my mind. He said, son, I never preached that verse to anybody. I lived it. We've preached John 3.16 and called it the gospel. God never preached it. He lived it. He lived it. He, he lived it. He gave. And then we now... He says, if you want to be like me, he says, let my love fill your heart and just give to the world. Out of the overflow of our covenant, just give to them. Give them what? Give them the good news of my love. Give them healing. Give them deliverance. Give them a hug. Give them money. Just give, give to them. This is evangelism 101. So, bro, you belong. 
And, and so practically, when that thought comes up, because it's real, you may, in class, you may be like, oh, I feel loved by God. And then it feels like it flutters away like one of those cool yellow birds that are here. I love those guys. Those little yellow guys, those are fire. And the redheaded ones, I feel bad for the sparrows. But then, like, the Lord's like, my eye is on the sparrow. And I'm like, dang, God sees the sparrow too. But when it comes up, you're like, you know what? No, God, you want me. And you stand on that, and you consider yourself a son. And you say, Lord, I thank you that I'm in the center of your will. I'm dead to that orphan spirit, and I'm alive to you. And for me, confessing, see, you believe in, you believe in your heart unto righteousness, but you confess unto salvation. This is many believers' problems. We don't consummate our belief with a confession. That's not just a one-time thing. So if you believe you're a son, you got to confess it. Lord, thank you that I'm dead to an orphan spirit. I'm alive to you. Lord, I'm dead to feeling cut off from you, and I'm in the center of your will and affections. And you begin to, dead to the thing that's getting you, alive to his affection and love. You with me? Who else? Real struggles. Real yes, ma'am. Trust issues. Uh, give me a little more meat on that bone. Pastor, friend, family. What? Friends and men. Huh. Okay. <laughs> Say less. <laughs> no, it's real. That's real. So, so men have hurt you. Yes. So, so we don't want to do a sozo here. It sounds like your trust may have been in these men. And so because they broke it, that was where your faith was. That's where your trust was. That's where your foot was. And men broke that and said, whoa, we good? Amen. They broke that. And so then you felt like, I don't know where my footing is, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up. And so, so to me, the question is, okay, what's the sin there? Where, was you, where were you alive to maybe, where, were you, where was your, your step misplaced? It may have been you put your trust and your identity in the men, and then they broke that. Not Again, not justifying what they did wrong to break your trust, but your trust was in them and not the rock. The rock will never break your trust. And so when your trust is in the rock, See, Jesus never entrusted himself to men, the Bible says, because he knew what was in a man. So not even Jesus entrusted himself to a man because he was entrusted to the Father. Does it mean he didn't live with an open heart? No, he lived with an open heart. He just didn't trust them, entrust himself to them. His life wasn't resting upon men. It was resting upon the bosom of the Father, his rock. And so for you, I want to bless you today in Jesus name any woman that has that same issue stand up right now that's bold come on just stand up stand up you've been hurt by men you've been hurt by men wow I felt it look at you one breaks through and many break out can we honor our sister for her boldness I'm serious for real this is a real issue look at me ladies look at me this is a common issue. These dudes are awesome. They're anointed. They're crazy. They're fiery. They're wonderful. But they are not your Savior. They are not your rock. They are not Jesus. And the only way your heart's going to remain safe and unhurt and unbroken 
is in him. This does not mean you get jaded and you start looking at everyone and go, I'm going to close my heart off to people and only Jesus has my heart and now you, you, know, you can't, even, can't even be known. You don't let yourself get known. That's not the case. You let him heal those broken places. You let him weep with you for those places where men have betrayed you or they have used you or they've manipulated you, controlled you. That is not the heart of God. That is not Jesus. Even Christian men who claim to follow God who have done that. That's not him. And I want to bless you today to trust in Jesus. To put your trust fully in him and to allow your hearts to be open to a good gift of a man of God. And that will be just what they are. It's just a man of God. But they're not Jesus. And so can we just extend our hands? Father, I thank you for these women right now. And I pray a washing and a cleansing of every place of trauma, every place of control and manipulation where they've been hurt by men. Lord, I thank you right now. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you wash them? Wash them, Lord. Wash them. Wash their hearts. Wash their minds. Bind up those broken places. It's what you do, Jesus. You bind up the brokenhearted. You just declare you will not live with a broken heart. The oil of Jesus to come and bind up those broken places right now. Fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid, there is no more disgrace for you, says the Lord. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of widowhood, for your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He is your redeemer the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you back from your grief. As though you were a young wife abandoned by her husband, says your God. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with great compassion I will take you back. In a burst of anger, I turned my face away for a little while, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. I know this sounds maybe a little cheesy, but as she was reading that, <laughs> you know when people say put a ring on it? I just saw the Lord putting a ring. And it's not like a cheesy Christian thing to say of like, oh, I'm married to the Lord. It's a, it's a real heart reality of covenant that satisfies you that will not allow you to look for the affirmation in a man 
that the man can never give you. And there's a grace right now for those who would receive it to just extend your hand to the Lord and receive that prophetic promise from the scriptures. He says, I'll no longer, you're going to be my bride. You're going to be the bride of the Lord. And if y'all have seen that movie Cinderella, the new one, it's the gospel, it's crazy. The, 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 the king, the prince comes and she's with her stepmom. Just stay with me. I know it's a little... And, and he finally, the shoe fits, and, and, and Cinderella's there, and she forgives the stepmom, and she walks out with her prince married. And, and that level of, there's a, there's a level of vindication and strength and dignity that marrying the prince was bestowed upon the woman. And I feel Christ himself, this one that we've been worshiping, he he doesn't just want to be like, yes, you're one of these YWAMers. He's like, I want you to be my bride. And I want you to leave today knowing that you can hold your shoulders high, your chin up, and you can know that I am your husband, that you would know him as a husband. And so can you just, I don't know, extend your hand, let him put the ring on it. You can just close your eyes. I just really feel there's going to be like an affirmation, like a sealing of the covenant right now, Lord. Lord, I thank you for this promise that Christy read. And I pray for each one of these precious daughters of yours that it would become a reality in their hearts, covenant with you. You would settle and establish their hearts this morning by your spirit. Amen. Amen. We're going to take a, a break and then come back. Cool? Is that okay? So a few minutes, 10, 5, whatever. Amen. So I want to just give time. Uh, we did this yesterday. This is something, babe, can you come up here? Um, this is something Christy and I do in our home. I'm going to have the, the leaders, school leaders, and the staff. If you're staff, can you come up here? Like we did yesterday, we're going to line up, hold hands across the front here. Um, yeah, just line up across the front. You're the worship team today, leaders and staff. This is your worship team, worship leaders. Y'all line up all the way across, hold hands. Can y'all stand to your feet? You guys, stand to your feet. So... You can grab hands to start off. Come on, all the way. Just all the way. Yep. That's great. Yeah, spread out. So, so hear me. I think there, I think hopefully this week um, you've just been provoked to know Jesus in first love and simplicity, person of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Is that done in your heart? Um, I think with worship too, I think there's so much surrounding worship. Um, we so often need so many things to worship. And I know our hearts are just to let what's in here come out to him in song, in adoration. Um, and so one thing we like to do is without any instruments, just the instrument of our heart of love to God, um, to sing to him. But, but what happens in these moments is we give time I'm going to have one of these guys just begin to sing uh, their heart to the Lord.
and then when they sing, we're going we're gonna to harmonize with them. We're going to begin to join in with them with one voice and be led, and then we're going to just go from there, and we may pray some things over you. Is that cool? But can we just collectively come together and adore the Lord because he's worth it? So, Father, we love you. We come to you right now, and we, um, Lord, we all have questions. We all have thoughts and wrestlings, but we believe you're alive. And you're here in our midst. And so we just want to take these last moments together and adore you. Give you our adoration, our undivided attention. And so Lord, let let us all come together in the spirit. The person of Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you unify this room in love for Jesus? Would you allow us to experience for a, a few short moments what it's like to be completely unified together in a love for Jesus. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you are blessed by this message. For more on the Holy Spirit, stay right here on the Fire and Fragrance podcast.